Welcome to Five Strike Weekly. Unfortunately, Atlanta United came agonizingly close, but just short of another MLS Cup after they were defeated by Toronto FC. So let's all commiserate together. Welcome to the show, Five Strike Fam. I'm AJ, this is Tanner McLeod. And wherever it is you get your pods, subscribe, share, and leave us a good rating. This segment is sponsored by Mojitos Bistro. Mojitos at the Forum where you can find a slice of Miami and Havana right here in Atlanta. They offer Cuban cuisine made with recipes from their mom's cookbook. For more on the awesomeness at Mojitos, check our description box below. The Five Sharps had a frustrating end to the season in what was a dominating performance, but I think ultimately it was our lack of quality in the final third that did us in. And I mean, you know, it's just, it's it hasn't sunk in for me completely. Uh, I think maybe a little bit of uh, seeing the, the social media hate has uh, contributed maybe a little bit to it sinking in, but it really, it's still a little bit sad, but it's still like, oh man, there's still going to be soccer, right? No. And it's uh, unfortunate. And uh, I mean, it's just one of those type of things where, I mean, I'm sure we'll get over once all the you know transfer rumors and other things start popping back up and uh, it really starts churning again in the off season. But uh, as of right now, I mean, yeah, it, it is still a little bit, the, the wounds are raw, they're, they're still fresh, and I feel um, just, I don't know, it's it's a very strange feeling because we're so used to winning at home, like finals at the Benz, like we're used to winning them. Well, right? we, we haven't lost a cup final at home. Yeah. I mean, that's I think that's the most frustrating thing is that it's one of those games where you're left scratching your head just, how did we lose? It wasn't like Columbus back in 2017 where, okay, this is new, it was we fully expected to win the game. And it's still kind of like, how did we not win that game? And I think the most agonizing part about it is there's gonna be a lot of time to go back and look over this because the season ended a month before, five weeks before it did last year because right. of the schedule and because Impressive. we didn't make it all the way. And you have three and a half, four months till you see Atlanta play another competitive game. And well, that's... at least in MLS. I mean, yeah, there will be, yeah, I mean, maybe February when we actually uh, get started back up. Well, you'll have the preseason games, that. but yeah, late Feb, mid to late February, you'll have Champions, half League. Champions League. But with the league, who knows what's going to happen with the league because you could have a work stoppage with the CBA. So it could be even longer. It's, it's a lot, but... I say, you know, let's go ahead and unpack this match first and talk yes. about it, and then we can reflect back on the season as a whole. Exactly, exactly. But, uh, yeah, so ultimately it was a 2-1 loss to Toronto FC, who, uh, who, yeah, I mean, I think once we started, you know, the match, we came out, like, just rockets firing. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, we, you know, get a really brilliant, uh, you know, goal to start off the match. I mean, you know, basically Guzan finds Barco, Barco finds... Uh, a PT who is making a beautiful run in behind, diagonal run, uh, and then he fools everybody in thinking that he's going to shoot, and he squares it to Julian Gressel at the very last second so that Julian Gressel can pretty much essentially get a tap in. And um, it's a great goal, it's a great start. Everybody's just probably amped after that because it's like, oh, okay, yeah, this is exactly how we want to start because... it put the nerves to bed like yeah. i was really nervous going into that game and for obvious reasons but you know it was one of those things where when you score a great goal that early it's just like okay now i feel like okay the nerves go away you have things under control like you said it was a fantastic ball it was quick build up and again for pity martinez to be so smart to understand when to pass that ball and to put it on a platter for julian gressel again i guess you could say and julian gressel 
taps it in the easiest of goals he'll quite possibly ever have, but we're off to the races. And mm -hmm. I think it was a continuing theme throughout the first half is Atlanta United played really well, really dominant stuff. And you felt like the second goal was gonna come sooner rather than later. And we had a chance for it, but then it didn't work out. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, PC Martinez gets in behind. Uh, and yeah, I mean, Michael Bradley, uh, this is kind of the arguable part. Uh, does he actually foul him or not? Um, but ultimately it is called a foul and a penalty. He's given a yellow card. There are protests by the uh, uh, Atlanta United squad uh, to that it might be a red card because, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, Doxo, in terms of uh, the things that you would expect when you are in the box and, you know, there's uh, pretty much it's a play on if it actually is by the word of what Alan Kelly, the referee, said. Um, you know, it, it it should be in terms of by the letter of the law, but uh, it is called a yellow. Uh, to be fair, the rules have also changed recently changed to where you don't get a straight red if it's a foul in the box. So there's no double jeopardy. There's no, no, no double jeopardy, but I think the biggest question is, is did Petey go down easy? Was he looking yeah. for the contact? I absolutely think he was. Michael Bradley, understandably frustrated. I don't think it was a red card at all. Part of me just wishes Petey would have just tried to shoot the damn thing. I agree. Um, Because yeah. he had time and space. And it's just like, he, on his left foot, you could pick out the corner and just have a, try to have a poke at it and see if he can put it in the corner. And I would have just wanted him yeah. to do that. But that being said, you get the penalty. And there's no one really, maybe outside of Zlatan, who you'd rather see stepping up in MLS to take a spot kick. And yeah. so you have Joseph Martinez stepping up. And, and at that point, it was point, uh, yeah. Yeah, 18 from 21 uh, in terms of penalties. And uh, so I think most people in the stadium are just like, yes, absolutely. I, I thought it was game. I yeah, thought when he stepped up, I was like, he's going to bury this. It's going to be 2 0 in the first 10 minutes, and this yeah. game is over. There's no way Toronto's going to score two goals before Atlanta United can score a third. Yeah. And I felt it was just dead and buried. But he doesn't score, and it's not his best penalty. I think the keeper did his homework because Joseph it's, goes It's to not that a side really, really bad penalty or anything. He didn't like miss widely off the But mark, it was I the think. perfect height for a keeper exactly. to save if you go the right way. And I think when you have as many penalties, he's taken as Joseph does you do build tendencies and the keeper felt that that was the way that he was going to go made a good decision and he saved it and I think that was a really big momentum swing because I think Atlanta United really thought that hey well at least the fans especially thought that this game was about to be dead and buried yeah and then it doesn't go in I think you could feel the energy inside the stadium just like this exasperating feeling and uh and that really is kind of what um I feel like there is that lull right after the the penalty miss and uh, it's only a few minutes and Atlanta exactly. made to pay Exactly, and uh, yeah, I mean, so uh, some will blame Julian Gressel on this, some will uh, say it's a good goal, some will say Guzan should have done better. I think it's just a fantastic goal by Benazé, who, uh, yeah, I mean, he, uh, I mean, arguably, it's like because, you know, Pozuelo is playing that false nine position, he was able to drag out Parkhurst, and then, you know, you have... Uh, Julian Gressel trying to cover, uh, Franco Escobar is a little bit out of position because of being dragged out as well, uh, and Julian Gressel is ultimately too slow to, uh, you know, to cover that, uh, cut in and then just, uh, Tyrion-esque goal that is highly annoying, but... You just can't, it's this a great hats finish. Off to you can't yeah. take it away when you have a finish like that, and I think that was the theme for both of their goals. I mean, throughout the whole game, they only had four shots. All four were on target. And both of the goals were absolutely class. So it's just one of those things where Toronto took their chances and this first goal was exactly that. And once Atlanta was pegged back, 
you know, the energy really in the stadium dropped because it was like, damn, like this game should have been dead and buried. Now they're back in it. But I think the team responded reasonably well. They played some really good football throughout the rest of the first half. There was a few passing moves where they really strung passes together and they created some half chances. But I think you could see, and as we learned after the game, Joseph Martinez wasn't at 100%. Yeah, exactly. He tweaked his hamstring in training on Monday, and he wasn't making a lot of the runs he usually makes. He wasn't, you know, taking chances at the back post for a ball coming in. He's that half touch was a little slow. loose. His like, touch was a lot. I mean, yeah. his touch can be loose at times, but it was a lot looser than it usually yeah. is. And it, it definitely, uh, like, it seemed unnatural for him uh, throughout the match, where it was just like, what's what's going on? Like, Joseph, we didn't know obviously. Yeah, at the time. but something definitely looked off on Joseph because it was uncharacteristic of what Joseph uh, really produces on a regular basis, what we expect from him. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's like one of the maybe like handful, if you can even count uh, to five, how many times that, uh, you know, he hasn't shown up big in a match. I mean, it's just one of those where um, maybe the hamstring did uh, affect his play, but uh, he's not going to give that excuse. And surely the team understandably did not say anything about it. So the, um, and it's also, you know, in terms of some people saying, oh, you know, did he cost us by, uh, you know, afterwards by playing the match the entire, entire match. Um, I mean, it's just like, good luck telling Joseph Martinez that he shouldn't play the entire 90. I mean, if he can play any bit of uh, the match, if he can even be in the 18, you saw, like, during this year, like, if he's even 70%, he's playing. So it's just one of those things where uh, you, I don't think you can pen it on, uh, on no, Joseph Martinez. He's a gamer. He's Absolutely. Just... He, he And the thing is, is, even when he has been hurt before, he has rose to the occasion to play, and he usually yeah. plays and plays well. So it's just weird to see him have an off night. Unfortunately, the worst time for him to have one. But it wasn't just him that didn't have their best game. And the, the thing that does strike me, and we'll definitely touch on it more in terms of the decisions that Frank DeBoer made, knowing that Joseph Martinez isn't fully fit, why do you not have a Brandon Vasquez on the bench? Yeah, it's, like, a, it's very bad. He's your only other out and out striker on the team. So he also offers you something different. Say when you're chasing a game at the end of at the end of the game and you need a goal, he's a big physical presence that you can put play with his back to goal. He can you know get in the air. He's physical. He can jump high. He's good with a, a header. And, I, I think it's like through the 19 shots that we uh, we had. I mean the clear cut chances that we actually had. I think we're a little fewer and further between because we had a lot of half chances, I feel like. And then also, I mean, you know, I think there's maybe, I think one clear cut, which is the one-on-one -on -one with Joseph uh, and the keeper. But other than that, I mean, I don't think it's really that. Um, there are a bunch of headers that looped over. Yeah, some it's hopeful shots that are really that aren't good. And yeah, I mean, again, Joseph had a couple of chances. I think he had one down the right-hand side where, yeah, usually you expect him to pick the far corner out and bury it. But again, it's not just on him. Ezekiel Barco, in my opinion, didn't have a very good game. He had a couple chances where he could have done better and either put his shot on target or lost the ball. And, you know, consistently him cutting inside with being paired with, with Florentine Pogba on the left doesn't create a lot of width on the left-hand side, which allowed Toronto to be very, you know, you know, narrow and tight and defend centrally and clog space up. Right. I, I think defensively, Flo Pogba had a good game. Yes, I absolutely. Think, uh, the issue was going forward and the combination play that we usually uh, kind of expect on the left side. And it's because, yeah, we were playing in a 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1, whatever you want to call it. Um, and so in that sense, um, you know, that kind of um, kind of swashbuckling mentality that we usually have where, you know, Miles Robinson in the back three that allows more guys to move forward 
uh, it wasn't really present. And so those type of more clear-cut chances, um, yeah, you don't get as many runners. You don't get uh, that link-up play that you usually kind of saw near the end of the season and definitely during our best spell in, uh, in August. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, really um, kind of in the grand scheme of it. Um, you know, we create so many chances, but they're, in terms of their, like, XG, it was, like, something like 0.1, um, which speaks to how clinical they were, which is the ridiculousness of it, uh, because they were both shots from outside the box. Just very annoying all over, uh, in terms of, uh... They rode their luck, the and yeah. I mean, for me, you know, you have a good first half, and heading into halftime, you're 1-1, and... I'm obviously now nervous because you expected Atlanta could easily, at bathroom I felt, could have been two or three nil up, really. The game could have yeah. been dead and buried already. And, you know, it, it's still at home and you have another half and you expect the team to get better. But then coming into the second half, you know, Toronto makes a change at halftime right off the bat. And then that next 15 or so minutes up to 65, you have some stuff, but nothing's really happening. Mm -hmm. And around that 65 mark is usually when a lot of coaches and players will make changes. And give credit to, to Greg Vanny. He made changes. He saw what he had to do, and he brought his players on early to change the game. Meanwhile, Frank DeBoer sat on his hands. And I'm not sure what he was thinking or what his strategy was, where he was just paralyzed by the game. Mm -hmm. I don't expect that from a manager of his caliber, but mm -hmm. you felt the team needed something to freshen up. You could mm -hmm. see that Florentine Pog was starting to struggle with his fitness. You could see Joseph was struggling. You could see Parkhurst was struggling with his injury. So it's like, do something to change the dynamic mm -hmm. of the game. He had players available on the bench to do that. I think the uh, yeah the uh, the devil's advocate of that is you know what he said after the match was that yeah I mean there was it was almost like where he was curt with a um, a Spanish speaking reporter he was uh, asked like why didn't you make any uh, you know substitutions earlier and he was saying pretty much did you watch the match we dominated it um, but yes I mean that's where it is where I think maybe. You know his view of what it is differs maybe with some of the fans is that yeah I mean we were dominating we were creating the chances the bulk of the chances but were they clear-cut chances were they the type of quality chances that we usually have um, and then yeah it's like you get you get unlucky you have some of the chances that um, you don't take it's just part of that um, you know where you know if you feel like the energy is not really quite there you maybe hopefully expect the coach because in terms of if the players on the pitch aren't able to produce what you want and time is clicking away, it's one of those, who else can change the match? And that's the coach. I mean, you know, he, there were players on the bench that could change the game, yeah. albeit I still think Vasquez should have been on the bench, bench anyway because that could have that's a way that you can really change how the game is played with him because he can play as an out and out striker and it's interesting that how we play, way. but it still is but a still, different look. But still, it's, it's a different prepare. look. You gotta prepare and you have to be able to do those sorts of things in must win one off games. Yeah. And that, that didn't happen. You have players like Miram or Hyman or Medi. Mm -hmm. Hyman can come on and change the game, mm -hmm. Miram can come on and change the game. Nothing was done until Atlanta United goes behind from a fantastic goal from Nick De Leon, yeah. which I think in my opinion, in most people's opinions, shouldn't have happened in the first place, but yeah. Alan Kelly decided, hey, I'm not gonna call foul. Yeah, so uh, let's break this down. And uh, so, yeah, essentially, I mean, it's a foul from Justin Morrow onto Donington Nagby. 100% a foul. Um, and, because, yeah, I mean, the, the foot is over the ball. It's like, just definitely a, a type of uh, action where, I mean, yeah. 
Like Nagby doesn't How go do you down. Miss this call? Alan Kelly is standing right there looking yeah. at it. He's and you have it. VAR. Yeah. And you have VAR. VAR is supposed to be there to go back and miss those things. That was a clear and obvious error, in my opinion. Yeah. He fully missed a call that directly led to a goal. And it was a foul. And Nagby's down hurt. Yeah. And because Nagby is down, when they break, that has very drastic effects on what happens later as they progress towards Atlanta's final third. Right. And so, you know, uh, in and around the box, uh, Nick De Leon, uh, he. Uh, pretty much is trying to find, uh, you know, a, uh, a spot to pretty much do what he does best. Uh, I mean, and that's shoot from distance. Um, and whether the team was actually uh, abreast of that or not, I mean, I think there was a little bit of, um, you know, other runners being tracked as well at that point. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, uh, pretty much there's about four four or five guys around. I think there's six Leone. total guys back in defense. Yeah, and uh, but in terms of, yeah, in the immediate vicinity, that could have closed down and no one did. Uh, I think it was more kind of, at that point, maybe a little bit of fatigue kind of getting into the head. Just, you know, you switch off for a second and that's what happens when you have a guy that was brought on to do that thing. I mean, he was brought on with that purpose. Uh, and he came on as, like you said, he came on as a substitute. Yeah. Greg Randy made changes because he needed to change the game, right. and it worked for him. For a different look, and maybe someone you, you didn't prepare for, and that's exactly. kind of uh, what happens. He, he gets a banger, I and mean, I don't think Brad Kuzan can do anything about it. LGP kind of shields him, he kind of turns away, and it's just one of those things where, um, yeah, I mean, against the run of play all night, they, uh, you know, they scored their two goals, and um, yeah, I mean, in the... Uh, that, that run-in of that, yeah, d you know, Nagby should have uh, gotten that foul called for him. Um, he was down, and he was, he's usually in that spot to maybe close down a player as well. So, you know, it's, uh, it's definitely a very damning thing on VAR. It's annoying as hell for the fans in terms of uh, having to, you know, that, that essentially, you know, kind of wins the game for them. And well, 100%. I mean, I'm going to be honest, <laughs> and some people might draw a stick for this, but, you know, in his interview that he did on the BS podcast, Michael Parkhurst talked about how Atlanta United doesn't handle adversity well. Yeah. When that goal went in, that's about as quiet as I've ever heard that stadium. I knew as soon as Toronto scored, Atlanta United lost that game. I knew in my heart, I hope that I was wrong, but I knew in my heart Atlanta United was not going to score and it was going to finish 2-1. Because Atlanta United, had, the feelings, of it had the feelings of that game the entire second half as it continued to go on. You knew the ball wasn't going to go in. And it had the feeling of a Toronto victory. But when it went in, I think that, I don't think Atlanta United ever anticipated going behind in that game. I don't think Frank DeBoer prepared to go behind in yeah. that game. And as soon as they went behind, the team didn't know what to do. And yes, they created some half chances. They pumped the ball into the box. They did everything they had to do. Mm -hmm. Didn't create anything clear out of it. Mm -hmm. But there was nothing that told me Atlanta was going to get back into this game because throughout the season, and honestly throughout our history, Atlanta United minus that say that San Jose game, or I guess kind of with the Red Bull game earlier this year at home, the Orlando game, but we don't come back from losing positions and win games very often. Mm -hmm. And this was an example, again, of going ahead and then falling behind and losing. And, and it happened at home at the worst time of the season. And honestly, in a way, he, Frank Nobor kind of got out coached because 
The tactics were right for Toronto. Did they mm -hmm. ride their luck? Yeah, absolutely, you have to. Seattle did the exact same thing, mm -hmm. but they got their, their, their tactics right. Mm -hmm. They got their effort right. They, they rode their luck. They made the subs when they had to, and they won the game. And I think, uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of the tactics, uh, the tactics were, I think, spot on for DeBoer going in. Uh, the first few minutes were fantastic, but then it was the tactical switch from Vanny and there wasn't a adjustment. And that's kind of, uh, you, know, um, you know, the battles leading up to, or the, that encompass a war, right? And so in a, you know, the individual battles and the uh, kind of tactical mind games and all that type of stuff, like that's, um, that's where I think we, we lost a little bit in terms of, um, you know, not, a, not, the changes weren't made quickly enough. I think definitely we agree on that. Um, whether I think I think uh, the majority of people in the uh, mainstream media agree on that or not is a whole different thing. But I feel like yeah, I mean you know in terms of um, you know the game-changing moments, like you look at you look at the timeline of the game and you can feel it. Like, but I think still um, I think plotets still need to go to I think the fans for. I think being loud the entire match uh, for, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's some shell shock, but after the second goal, I feel like still the supporter section and most of the stadium were still cheering the guys on. They knew that uh, the guys needed to pick me up, and I think they were definitely like louder than really uh, it has been in a really long time as well. Um, so, you know, it, it, it comes down to, uh, you know, a lot of unluckiness. There's a lot of things that uh, just didn't go our way ultimately at the end of the night. But, um, you know, in terms of, you know, what we can kind of, you know, pull out from this match in terms of the positives, um, I think P.T. Martinez, I think, showed out in another big game. He had four key passes, three dribbles. Um, yeah, and I mean... He's, he's a penalty one. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he, he was kind of, uh, you know, running the show a good bit. And um, I think, yeah, you, you were uh, saying a little bit on Barco. I feel like, yeah, he still, uh, you know, created a good bit of chances. It was just a matter of, you know, not the maybe Barco that we've kind of saw in the earlier part of the season. Um, and that's kind of, you know, the inconsistency of being one a young player. Uh, him and his kind of pretty much, you know, he had the international duty this, uh, this summer and then the injuries and then, uh, he's pretty much, yeah, had very few game time to really kind of get that momentum of playing every single week. It felt like a so, season that started off so brightly for him yeah. and then just plateaued because he wasn't able to play as much as he wanted to. Mm -hmm. But on the whole, I guess at the end of the day, it's it's really frustrating. But you have to take your hat off to Toronto, but also Seattle because both teams went and went into very difficult places to play. And Away. Both, both pulled out went results. Went down a goal. Yeah, both went down a goal and responded well, mm -hmm. almost scoring immediately in both games, and then, you know, got got the results, rode their luck, and, and mm -hmm. got the job done. And, you know, they'll contend for MLS Cup for the third time in four years, which mm -hmm. really tells you a lot about both their coaching staffs and the clubs themselves. They're very well-run clubs. They're at the top of the league. And maybe they're not the sexiest clubs you always think of when you think of your LAFC and your Atlanta United because they're the new shiny thing. But Seattle and, and Toronto have been around for a while and mm -hmm. they've got talented players, so we'll see. But and, at the same time... And, uh, and credit to Toronto FC for, you know, the whole Jovinko thing earlier uh, in their offseason and then they brought in a Pozuelo. And, you know, they, they hadn't really played all that well until... 
pretty much August 3rd, and they're just, you know, going they on. They haven't a, lost. Yeah, they haven't lost since then, and they went on just a undefeated streak that uh, is crazy. And, um, yeah, they rode that momentum for sure. And they beat NYCFC away and Atlanta added away. They knocked out yeah. the top two seeds on the road. So, yeah. again, so, credit where credit's due. Exactly. And so, in terms of that, even, uh, you know, them against Seattle, um, I think Seattle needs to watch out, too, because, yeah. I, I think mean, Seattle's going to smash them. They I'm might. I'm going to be honest. I, Toronto, might, but, Toronto rode their luck, mm -hmm. and... Toronto got lucky more than Seattle did. I think Seattle sure. Seattle beat LAFC. Mm -hmm. I think Toronto, did they beat Atlanta United, but they had a lot more by way of things going their way. Mm -hmm. And I really, the way that Seattle's been playing this 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 postseason, I, I just, I, I think Seattle's a favorite, obviously, they're playing at I home. I think so, yeah. And it depends on if Josie Altidore's fit. That exactly. changes things a lot as well. And that's well. that's a big thing, but it's also, you know, if Greg Vanny can continue to uh, really, you know, be such a tactical, you know, mastermind in, in that sense where he was able to make the right moves and then if the players on the field perform and pretty much are as clinical as they are, they don't need that many chances, then, I mean, you know, you never know what could happen then. I but. think it's gonna be the cup of Rui Diaz. That guy, I, yeah. if you had to pick a guy who's That's gonna do something. similar uh, similar type goals. All, you know, I goals just, outside the box. He's very, incredible, yeah. Yeah, just uh, kind of mirrored games. It, it was kind of a maybe bad omen of, uh, of seeing that and maybe inspire Toronto FC a little bit too as well because, yeah. I, there is that that you know mindset going in of everybody wants a LAFC LA United MLS Cup final and uh, the fact that they got knocked off LAFC that really gave us some hope I think maybe distracted uh, not only the fans but maybe the the club as well because I think subconsciously like if we're being completely honest with ourselves not that as a fan base we looked past it this game, but I think a lot of us assumed fairly or unfairly with it being we're at home. home. We're we at home. Versus, right? We assumed that we were going to make MLS Cup, and this is just one of those things where sometimes the soccer gods say no, 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 like to Kimbe Matembo hitting the golden spike, and uh, yeah, now now yeah. we're sitting here. But hey, could be worse. We still got two trophies. This yeah, year. I, I had a friend that uh, said that pretty much when the Kimbe Matembo he kind of hit it early. He knew that that was not our night. I mean, it's... Uh, they should have just brought Ric Flair back again. <laughs> exactly right. You need Sometimes you really do need that uh, kind of inspiration right before the match. I feel like it does kind of have an impact sometimes. Uh, but uh, I feel like uh, that's probably a little wayward. Uh, but if you're very superstitious, uh, I feel like maybe that did have an impact. But, um, but at the end of the day, I mean, you know, we still, we won Capiona's Cup. Uh, we won a U.S. Open Cup. We're in the CCL. Um, I mean, it's at the end of the day, this doesn't maybe hurt as bad because of those facts, but... Uh, I think it hurts because you saw that you could win another MLS Cup at home. Exactly. And because you fell short of doing that, that's why it hurts. Because you For could sure. have done it at home. Mm -hmm. Had it had had we lost and it been away, you know, and LAFC had won, mm -hmm. and it was, hey, we're going to gonna have to go away to LAFC, and you lose, it doesn't hurt as much. But it's the fact that you saw it and it was going to be at home again, you felt it was right there and you came up just short. I think yeah. that's what hurts the most. Uh, I mean, I ask you this, if, um, if we got to the final and, yeah, we did play Seattle, and we did lose, would that hurt more than this? Absolutely, it would hurt. And to be perfectly honest with you, had Atlanta United won um, in a tight game last night, had Atlanta United blown Toronto out of the water, that'd have been something different. But having watched Seattle and how they set up and their manager, who I rate very highly tactically as well, 
Rui Diaz took the entire soul of our defense earlier this season, and he's playing out of his mind. And Pozuelo's good, but I think Rui Diaz is a completely different animal. Well, yeah, I mean, Rui Diaz is kind of more of their kind of out-and-out -out striker. Yeah, he, he's, and, but um, he can play, make, and do the whole thing as mm -hmm. well. And so, honestly, I, if, if I'd been a betting man, I would have bet on Seattle to win. I know that sounds really weird had you seen that matchup, mm -hmm. but just the way that they're playing defensively and everything, and without a Miles Robinson. Mm -hmm. Had Miles Robinson been playing, I think Atlanta would win some MLS Cup. Oh, I yeah. know that sounds weird, but it's not just because, I, I agree and not that, that, not that he would have helped in scoring the goals or anything, but you would have been playing the system you're most comfortable with. Exactly, he would have allowed guys three, five, two. We would have been playing the way that we want to, and yeah. the frustrating thing is you lose him, he doesn't play a single minute in the playoffs, the year that he is in the MLS best 11 as one of the two best center backs in the league, yeah. he doesn't play a single minute because the US men's national team is a bunch of asinine morons who got him hurt in a training session after Brent a game Berlin. he didn't play in. Yeah. So that for me is a frustrating thing. It's not, a, I mean, yeah. I don't want it to sound like a cop out or anything, but like, that completely but affected Atlanta this postseason. Yeah, big, big players absolutely have an impact. No matter what type of uh, other guys have stepped up during the Especially meantime. when it makes you change your system. Yeah. Sometimes you can lose a big player, but it still keeps you within the same structure. It's like, right. okay, we know how we're playing. Yeah. But what Atlanta was successful at, and what Atlanta had won MLS Cup at, was playing a certain way. Mm -hmm. And because of losing, because you lost Miles Robinson, you were not able to play that way. Right. And it changed everything. Yeah, for sure. Um, but uh, one thing we haven't gotten into is Michael Parker's coming back from the dead. Uh, I much do not know how he did that. Absolute warrior, like I've mentioned on social media. I mean, the fact that uh, coming off in that match where it looked like he was probably like blue in the face, he was like just... He was off in the clouds somewhere. The pain was bad. Yeah, and then, you know, the kind of social media pictures that you saw afterwards, he's all doped up eating some, like, Kroger sushi. Um, yeah, it, it is one of those things where you're like, he's not returning. Like, there's just, just no way, right? And then the, you saw the uh, him, you know, spraying the ball on the practice pitch over the weekend, and then you're like, okay, but this might not mean anything. And then he's in the 11, and he has an incredible match, I feel like. He didn't really put a foot wrong, I think, all match. Um, yeah, I mean, just incredible from the captain. Uh, a great way to see out his career in a sense uh, that he's not, you know, you know, that an, injury, an injury wasn't the last. An injury yeah. wasn't the last. Obviously, yeah. Obviously, obviously the, the loss. A loss is bad, but it wasn't an injury. He went out on both legs. He went out fighting. He went out going for it. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, that's all that you can really want in a, in a way. But I obviously, would preferred him going out lifting MLS Cup again. But again, yeah. and then, not gonna happen. If that was the case at that point, I mean, would he have needed some uh, some assistance? Because I mean, maybe those uh, some of those are heavy. Yeah, the Campeonato is not so much, but you know the US, US Open. Open Cup. That thing's hefty. Yeah. So I mean, I don't know, but uh, that's meandering a little bit. But either way, um, you know, it, it is a very frustrating end to the season. It's unfortunately kind of the last memory for the players that will be returning in that sense. Uh, kind of allusion to. Uh, what we'll be talking about in a second, but um, yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, there was the successes, the, especially, you know, the kind of really shoddy start that we had. Um, I think a lot of people will say, yeah, the, you know, if you had told them during that period that we would have made the Eastern Conference Finals and have two trophies to boot, it really would be a very successful season. Most um, people would have signed up for that. Exactly, they would be like, "Okay, great," uh, because it didn't. It looked pretty grim. It looked pretty grim uh, during that period. And uh, the fact is that we turned it around. Uh, yeah, you know, you have Frank DeBoer uh, making adjustments throughout the season, listening to the players. Yeah, 
you know, a kind of, um, you know, kind of airing out of uh, some, some dirty laundry in the, during the summer, but I think still, either way, uh, you know, they came together at the end. Uh, we had a fighting chance uh, where the effort was, I think, very commendable to the very last minute. You could, saw, you could see how gutted they were uh, on the pitch. You had guys with, um, you know, shirts over their heads and they were just, they looked dejected because they, you know, it's a, one, a missed opportunity, but uh, I think second, secondly, I mean, they just gave everything that they could, possibly could. And um, I think, yeah, you just gotta applaud the boys for really showing out for Atlanta, no matter, uh, you know, what the obstacles were really this season. And they did the very best that they could. And I mean, it's still pretty damn far, so. Uh, yeah, that does it for the match review, and it's going to be a shorter one uh, in terms of Five Shot Weekly this uh, this week, but in terms of the news, so yes, Michael Parker, so that is his last game. He will retire, and he has retired, um, and it's kind of kind of strange. I mean, yeah, like our captain is now, uh, you know, going into uh, probably just... Uh, Probably moving to Ohio is uh, what I heard from him, um, like BS the podcast. And he, he's, he's got a home there. Yeah. Um, but the uh, the weird thing is he might not be the only person moving to Ohio. Yeah, exactly. And so you know you have some things where uh, basically you know in uh, Joe Patrick's tweet uh, post match from the locker room he said that uh, that this is speculation, but it sure looked like some players were saying their goodbyes to Donington Nagby in the locker room. And then, based on all the context, he said he'd be very surprised if he's back in Atlanta Colors next season. And, of course, yeah, he'll be very difficult to replace. Um, and, yeah, I mean, there has, there's been the whispers of Duncan Nagby early on uh, in the kind of preseason that uh, he was want away. Uh, the links were with Columbus, uh, maybe with Caleb Porter. You know, he wants to kind of rekindle that relationship, uh, kind of the old coach and player uh, kind of relationship that he... Yeah, I mean, it was, it's been really successful for him. Um, and he's getting kind of, uh, well, in maybe in world football years, his uh, he's getting on to, you know, he's getting on an age. But in MLS, again, MLS years. he's still, yeah, he's got probably three or four years or more in him still. And, um, and he, he's in fantastic shape as well. So, uh, but, you know, in that sense, he could be going to Columbus. He's already apparently uh, sold his home. Uh, in Atlanta or kind of Marietta, wherever you, uh, where, whatever you want to say uh, about where he lives, but um, yeah, I think that's a huge miss if that is the case because that's a, just I think uh, kind of hidden MVP for sure uh, of this team, and that's kind of just uh, man, it, it kind of leads to a lot of the guys that um, you know may or may not be with the team, uh, you know, going forward and. Uh, not only are there, you know, guys that are maybe out of contract or they have a, you know, an option that, you know, who knows if it's going to be picked up. Uh, but, As is the case with LGP. Yeah, LGP, Julian Gressel, who uh, has openly pined for a raise. Uh, can't blame him. Can't blame him. Tito Vishalba, who is a guy who is maybe on the fringes because, I mean, and that hurts us all as uh, Atlanta United fans, I'm sure, but it's because uh, he's a guy who's had very huge moments for Atlanta United, but uh, the fact is is that he played very, very little minutes uh, during the 2019 season, and then when he was actually healthy, 
he was he wasn't in the starting eleven. He was used as a super sub, and you know, he had varying levels of uh, you know, effectiveness. And so yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of guys that may or may not be with the club, and that's um, you know, it's one of those things where I think we'll. Uh, Expect probably some turnover. Hopefully, this new CBA will uh, be resolved as soon as possible. Because and give us a bit more financial leeway to yeah. sign players and pay them what they deserve. Right, because I think that's what I think most people are expecting. Uh, that the charter flights, some other things that uh, kind of have been lingering on the uh, the kind of task list for a while. And um, yeah, I mean, I think the big thing is. You know the, that gamut Tam is if they'll still be in play, uh, or if it's at least increased because teams like LA United, teams like Toronto, Seattle, LAFC, uh, LAFC Miami, LA Galaxy, yeah, exactly. They're looking forward to kind of the roster flexibility and how they can actually, you know, try to win some of these competitions that we're and in. Compete on multiple fronts, exactly. competing against these teams from Mexico that don't have these salary restrictions that can afford to have. You know their their payrolls with these players that are all making DP level money, like a Monterey, who if they were in MLS, they had 12 players that would be on DP money, and that's the type of thing that you need if you want to compete with those clubs. If you can't afford to pay your players that much, and not to mention Wayne Rooney talked about it in his article with his interview with the Athletic, um, with Pablo Mar about how he feels that MLS and, and the USSF are kind of exploiting a lot of these younger American players and not paying them what they're worth, and you want to see that, and especially coming from a player like Wayne Rooney to say stuff like that. It's really important, and he's raised it in maybe slightly more diplomatic ways than how Zlatan has, you know, has kind of said some things. Yep. But both of them are very experienced players who have said, "Look, if this league wants to move forward, there have to be changes. There has to be things that brings the level of the game up." And for me, it's one of those things where if the product is better, more people watch. And yep. if there's more people watching, there's more money and more exposure for the league. So yes, I understand doing it slowly, but. We are at a point now where you have to not necessarily take the handbrake fully off, mm -hmm. but you have to let it go a little bit. You have to make it a little bit bigger. You have to take that next step to trying to be a league that is recognized globally as one of the better leagues in the world. Right, because that is really where uh, MLS is at. They're looking for more respect. They're wanting to win the competitions that they're in, uh, especially a Champions League. And so with that, uh, you have that type of, uh, you know, the parity is not really something that I think um, the league should be looking for. It can't be anymore. preserved forever because exactly. eventually it stops. It stops helping the. It stops helping the league and it starts hurting it because you're trying to help the teams that don't feel like being with everyone else. Exactly. And that's not you're, the league's responsibility. You're leveling the forward. mediocrity versus more of the the teams that are trying to win things and actually uh, kind of raise the level of the perception of the league, which and is, I think, a very massive thing. I think thing what's important about that is it's not just a couple teams. You have a, a big group of teams and big group of owners that do want to invest this money, that do want to spend more. It's not just like you have two, three clubs that will do it to where you have a big three, four, and that's it. Mm -hmm. You have four, five, six, seven, eight teams that all look and see, hey, we can do more in this financially if given the option to do so. But before we get sidetracked on that, that's something for a completely different day. Sure. I think for me to kind of round this whole thing off, what makes everything about last, well, the game on Wednesday the most frustrating, and I've said this on Twitter, and I think I said it in my fan cam as well, is that for me, this truly felt like the end of chapter one for Atlanta United. It felt like the end of the beginning. Um, I know they kept titling the season Chapter 3, but I felt that even though it was a new coach, it was all part of that same 
It's the same core It's the same core group of players. And I think this Captain's year, the same. you're going to yeah. see a lot of changes and you're going to start seeing a big roster turnover and you're going to see a lot of the players that we've grown to love from day one are really going to start moving and new players will come in that will create an affinity with us and that will be fan favorites. And there's a bright future ahead. But I think that's the sad part is that it feels like this is the end of that beginning era for Atlanta yeah. United. And now they're taking that next step into they've been in MLS. They're a team that's part of the furniture. Let's see what they do in the future. And it's sad, but also when you look back on it in the first three seasons, you've won an MLS Cup, you've won a US Open Cup, you've won a Campionius Cup, and you've made Champions League the last two years, not to mention you made it to another Eastern Conference Final. That's not half bad for your first three years in the league. And you know that the team is going to be gearing up because they want to win again. They're going to be upset that they didn't win that MLS Cup again this season. So you know they're going to go again. There's going to be a lot of time between now and then. There's going to be a lot of transfer well, it, it and might speculation. Be, uh, it might be sooner than you think because of the, yeah, I mean, you know, there will be, I think, at least training camp in January. So, but yeah. still, I mean, that's still two months. But it, compared you know, to last year when it was so just lightning fast between the end sure. of the season and and, you pretty and, much only had a, less than a month. Yeah, about a month. So, But the point being is that there's going to be a lot, and we're going to cover it all here on Atlanta Fan TV. Okay. So if you want all of that news, stick with us through the offseason because we'll be keeping up to date on all the rumors and speculations like Barco Watch, like Pity Watch. There's going to be something else, I imagine, at some point in time. Exactly. But we'll be here to cover it in both podcasts, Instagram, Twitter, the whole nine yards. We got you for Atlanta United. And we can't wait to see what happens next year. Exactly. But uh, so that wraps it up for the news. And in this very truncated version of Five Star Weekly, gets us to question of the day. And the question of the day is this, guys. So with Atlanta United season finally coming to an end and a lot of players potentially leaving, who would you like to see stay the most? We've got a couple options, but you can always chip in with your own idea. Would you like it to be Julian Gressel, Darlington Nagby, LGP, Ezekiel Barco? Who knows? Get down in the comments below and let us know who you really want to stay out of the players that could potentially be leaving this offseason. And guys, that's it for us today. Remember to subscribe to us if you haven't already. Share this episode and leave us a review and a rating so we can pop up higher in your rankings. And for Tanner McLeod, I'm AJ. Thanks so much for listening.